How much did you know about drones in 2013? Nothing. It was a toy, a little hobby, uh, little helicopters that you flew around with your kids. Right, right. But they were out there then. The testing was taking place then. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a soy latte delivering drone. Here to predict how we might use drones in 2030, discuss the ever-evolving regulatory landscape, and debate when flying taxis will finally become an everyday reality, it's Oliver Wyman, Cavox, David Markentel, and Stephen Douglas. For more information on this episode, check out our show notes. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello, my name is David Markentel, and I'm a Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oliver Wyman CAVIC, coming to you from Oliver Wyman's downtown podcast in Atlanta, Georgia. I'd like to have a conversation today with Steve Douglas, who's also a Vice President within CAVIC, about the future of commercial drones, where we are today, and what it would look like in 2030. So, Steve, are we going to see pizza deliveries by 2030? Actually, Dave, I think we're going to see a lot more than pizza deliveries. From what I'm seeing, current events show that they're delivering coffee at the beach in Dubai. Also, the police force is going to start training this year where it's mobile unit. It's both set up like a motorcycle and a drone, but it is truly a drone-based vehicle. Also, from what I've seen recently is they've experimented with passenger service on a drone in Austria. Oh, wow. Wow. So the market is really moving forward. And the more the FAA works with the private sector and industry, the more advancements we're starting to see. There's still a lot, though, that goes on outside the U.S. There's no question that the applications and uses of drones and unmanned aerial vehicles is incredibly high. We've all already seen the photography and cinema that's already been... You know, fairly well established. Lots of movies are made with drones and, and all of the photography capabilities. But what's not very talked about is the ability to surveil or inspect uh, fixed infrastructure, power plants, power lines. You can do some amazing things with the sensor technologies that are being developed in parallel with these drones. Are there any other applications of drones that you find particularly interesting besides the most obvious uh, about delivering coffee and pizza and, and air taxis? Well, I know they've been experimenting in the Arctic since around 2013. They've been uh, looking at doing ice surveys. They've been uh, doing various marine mammal surveys, also pipelines, roads, equipment, oil field type work. They're also set up an operation that's able to go out and do surveillance for oil spills. It's called Operation Arctic Shield, and that was set up in 2015. So you can see it's relatively short from 2015 when they started a lot of these projects until where they're at today. Also, they're doing some mapping with drones on aircraft for uh, damage tolerance type inspections. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. You know, the sensors on these things are just absolutely incredible. And what we're able to do with that, both holistically, I know I've read a lot about using uh, drones and their surveillance cameras to be able to look at vegetation near power lines or other fixed structures so that you can determine when is the best time to start uh, trimming that back. And then there's the applications that are associated with after disasters. When an earthquake comes in, drones are being used now to surveil the damage and be able to, to quickly process what needs to take place big floods and other things like that, you know, these drones are really, really making a difference in people's lives and in the response services that come after that. We've talked a lot about some of these future opportunities, but 
What's being done today commercially? Are, are there any actual services that are in commercial operation, not just as test cases, but you know, real businesses that are making a living every day with drone technology? Actually, there is one. Uh, it's in Canada, and they've announced where they're moving into commercial operations and uh, revenue generation. They started in 2019. And it's an interesting drone. It's uh, the inside's probably three to four by four, and it carries packages. So it lands, delivers, and people can go pick up their packages from this drone. Uh, UPS, it's no secret. It's on the web where they have their UPS truck that pulls up in a remote area. They program the drone, it flies out, delivers the package while they're going down the road to another delivery site, and a drone comes back and lands on top of the truck. Are there certain types of applications that seem to make more sense than others. I know I've heard about uh, some drone operations in Iceland where they're delivering food and groceries and other sundries across a big bay that takes an hour plus to drive around but takes uh, 10 minutes or less uh, to fly across. And that's a commercial operation that's in place today. But do you see a, a, a greater likelihood to point-to-point versus many-to-many type of operations? I mean, how does that lay itself out on a timeline? Well, I think right now they're focusing on point-to-point. There's several factors come into play there. It's obviously the battery life of the uh, UAS or drone. That's uh, normally about 30 minutes when you're talking the small drone. So it's more of a point-to-point Mileage-wise, you know, that varies on how long they can go, but they're also dealing with beyond the visual line of sight. What does that turn into for us uh, from a regulatory perspective? I mean, both in the U.S. as well as, uh, say, Europe, what's got to change in order to be able to adapt and use these technologies and deploy them? Well, I think right now with the FAA's Unmanned Aircraft System Integration Pilot Program, or it's known as the IPP, there's still a lot of testing taking place, looking at what that integration would look like, and they're maintaining operations 400 feet or below to try to understand what does that look like. Uh, There's large percentage of the population that are still uncomfortable with drones and very uncomfortable with them flying overhead. It's going to take some time to get that into a a city-type environment. Yeah, there are, for sure, some uh, fairly significant uh, attitude or even cultural challenges that exist out there, ranging from privacy concerns, people uh, just not comfortable with that drone being able to hover over a backyard or land land outside your front door, to uh, the obvious uh, events uh, that occurred uh, just a few months ago at Gatwick Airport in the UK, where we had drone incursions into uh, controlled airspace, which created a safety hazard. So what do we do as an industry to try to help protect that? Is that a technological answer? Is that a regulatory answer? Or do you think that's just a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. But there has been uh, UAS detection going on even before 2015. They've partnered up with various agencies. Even the FBI has been involved May of 2016 to evaluate what different drone detection technology would look like. There's some companies out there today where they've developed some software that they're able to tell when they're in the no-fly zone and pick up on those UASs that are there. What do you think has to happen technologically? Most of the regulation is centered around uh, fairly lightweight drones, 55 pounds in total. Of course, they're currently restricted from carrying cargo or packages. But even if that restriction is lifted, if you start adding packages into that, you're only talking about 20 pounds, 30 pounds maximum. 
and then that doesn't have a very long range. What has to happen? What has to change in order for us to see that some of these more aspirational, futuristic kind of uses? Well, obviously, uh, the battery life has to change. And, and I believe there's some progress being made on that. They're looking at battery life of one hour to get into a passenger-type service. Maybe it's 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Again, that is a point-to-point operation. Maybe it's around the freeway where they set up a designated area that the drones will land and pick up people and go to the next point. But uh, again, it's got to be within that hour right now for technology. Keep in mind, the battery has some weight to it too. So you're adding to that. And when you mentioned about the, uh, the small UAS, right now they're hauling up to five, 10 pounds, as I mentioned, with uh, medical supplies or even experimenting with some packages. And it looks like that range is about 12 miles, somewhere around there, give or take. Excellent. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Steve, thank you very, very much for your time today. Uh, this has been most fascinating. Uh, it'll be really exciting to see these pizzas coming around along with your coffee. Uh, so you could just have that drone interaction every day, all day long. I'm waiting for my Starbucks. The Oliver Wyman Velocity Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. For more information, follow us on Twitter at Oliver Wyman and read our latest transportation insights at oliverwyman.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.